Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called Not Of It, and I want you to uh, hold two spots in your Bible, one in Jeremiah chapter three, and then hold a second spot in James chapter four. Now this series, Not Of It, refers to Jesus's declaration to his disciples that they're not of the world. And what did he mean when he says that his followers are not of the world? I want you to think of two words, declaration and separation, right? It's a declaration of identity. It's how Jesus wants his followers to see themselves, their self-perception. It's where uh, he wants them to see their self-worth and their self-regard. So it's, it's a declaration of identity. And because of that identity, there's gonna be a separation of where they put their energy and a separation in their expression that reflects who they are and what they do and how they believe and how they behave, not of the world. Now, the initial disciples and every disciple ever since has been called to be not of the world. In other words, called to live in a culture that excludes Christ or is hostile to Christ, called to influence that culture by, by contact and by contrast, becoming salt and becoming light in the midst of that culture, called to advance God's purposes in the midst, listen, in the midst of a hostile operating environment where Jesus said to his disciples, hey, you're gonna be sheep among wolves and you're gonna need to be shrewd and you're gonna need to be innocent and you're gonna have to have clarity of mind and you're gonna have to have a certain mindset because this right here is a theater of battle. So make no mistake, when Jesus says to the disciples, you're not of the world, he's creating sides that oppose each other. There are, are two different axes that are in play for a disciple of Christ. One axis is the active spirit of the world seeking to control the flesh of men and serve the devil's purposes. And on the other axis, according to Jesus, there is the spirit of God that seeks to defeat the flesh and impulses of men to advance God's purposes in the world. Now, what is the prize in this collision of forces? Control of your life control of your mind, control of your, your thinking, control of your living, control of your beliefs. Now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the goal of the enemy, like in any war, is to pick you off. It's to take you out of action. It's to neutralize you as a force for advancing God's purposes. And like in war, there is a strategy to woo and seduce you, to get you to think that it's okay, listen, to play both sides at the same time. That it's okay to cheat on God. And just like it wouldn't be okay for a man who is standing with his bride making a commitment to say, well, I do, I want you, oh, and every now and then I want a lover. God feels the same way. So you have this battle, this spiritual battle, right? 
world, flesh, devil, father, son, and spirit. And then you have this collision. And in the midst of the battle, you have a strategy to drain the other side of its soldiers and of its power. How? Let's woo them over and let's try to get them thinking that we can be in culture and we can be in Christ at the same time in terms of where we put our energy, that we can listen to the word and we can also listen to the world, that we can have spirit and we can also have a little bit of flesh in there. Well, God views that kind of existence where you're committed to him and you want him uh, and also having uh, a connection to the world as spiritual adultery. Listen to the language and let's go to Jeremiah chapter three. We're gonna look at verse 20. This is how God views that type of living. One foot in him, one foot in the world. He says this in Jeremiah chapter three, verse 20. He says, but like a woman, unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. So did you see how God kind of creates this metaphor of, hey, you're married to me, you're connected to me, we're in covenant, and you want me for stability, credibility, eternity, and the things that, that I provide, and because you believed a lie that you've told yourself, uh, and that the world is sending at you, you are looking outside this relationship for thrills, for sensations, for pleasures that you think I'm limited and cannot provide. So God, you're good, but I need an alternative relationship over here at the same time. Reminds me of Genesis chapter three, where the devil is in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, I know what God has said, but you know what? You're missing out. You know, he knows that if you partake of the fruit of this tree, that your eyes are gonna be open. Basically creating FOMO, a fear of missing out. Same battle, same strategy, same plan with you, you being not of the world. And then the messaging that says, hey, you know what? Your life in God is all right, but guess what? There is, there's a whole life over here that this life cannot provide, which is a lie. Listen to uh, how God thinks about that choice in James chapter four. Let's go to that other spot in the Bible that I told you to keep. James chapter four, we're gonna look at verses four and five. Listen to how God thinks about the person who wants him as husband and a lover in the world. Verse four. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So let's unpack what spiritual adultery is, which is what the world wants us to commit against God. Number one, spiritual adultery is unfaithfulness relationally. 
It's true in human relationships. It's true in your relationship with God. You are starting a second relationship in the midst of a primary relationship. Number two, spiritual adultery is forsaking someone emotionally. You cannot give love and affection to the one at the same time you are giving love and affection to the other. You have to forsake one to give to the other. Number three, spiritual adultery is replacing spiritually. The Bible calls this idolatry. You are looking to another source to provide things that only God is positioned to provide. Now, these things that you seek in this second relationship uh, may appear to provide what only God can provide, and you'll find out that later, right, when you experience the consequences of that choice. But the initial sell is that, hey, you can't get this here, but you can get it here, you know, and it's a bait and switch, right? So that are, those are the three characteristics of spiritual adultery. Uh, there's unfaithfulness relationally, there's forsaking emotionally in order to engage this other relationship. You gotta say no to say yes. And then there's a replacement spiritually, all right? Now, as a man of God, who's not of the world, and in the midst of this massive cultural riptide that's going on right now, where allegiances and alliances and loyalties and positions have to be staked out. The, the challenge is to be godly and to not be worldly, right? And not to get wooed and seduced over thinking that you can play both sides and cheat on God. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna look at what does it mean when you're getting a little too friendly with the world? You know, in, in a relationship with a husband and a wife, uh, either party, you know, there's a kind of a monitoring and there's a sense of the vibe in the relationship. And a husband or a wife can sense when their spouse is maybe getting a little too friendly with the person of the opposite sex. And that friendliness is reflecting that their heart, uh, that they're separating, that there's inner unfaithfulness that's going on, a forsaking uh, uh, emotionally, and a replacement spiritually, that oneness is being threatened. So let's look at when a man of God can sense, or you can see it in another person, sense it in yourself, when you're getting a little too friendly with the world. Number one, self-justifications are given. What does that mean? I think every guy watching me right now has kind of rationalized to himself or had self-talk uh, about the choices that you make that perhaps aren't in alignment with your relationship with God. You ever talk yourself out of doing what God wants you to do? You ever justify not doing what God wants you to do? Do you ever make excuses to not do what God wants you to do or to live the life that he's called you to live? It's where you start up, stop turning to God and you start turning to the world to kind of meet some needs that, that you feel like God can't meet need for identity, need for acceptance, need for worth. It's over here, but it's not over here. That's how you can know. If you're in that zone of self-talk and rationalization and justification. It talks about this 
in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 18 and 19. And I'm using this reference from the Old Testament because it's not a new problem. Listen to God speak into this battle, this wooing, this seduction, this type of behavior in, in and amongst his people. He says, don't let your guard, uh, don't, don't let down your guard, lest even now today someone, a man or a woman, clan or tribe, gets sidetracked from God, our God, and gets involved with the no gods of the nations or the culture. Lest some poisonous weed sprout and spread among you, a person, and here's how he defines it, a person who hears the words of the covenant uh, oath, but exempts himself thinking, I'll live just the way I please, thank you, and ends up ruining life for everybody. Let me tell you something. I've been doing men's ministry for 30 years. That exact situation has happened over and over and over and over again. Did you hear the language? It's a man who exempts himself and, and he says to himself, I'll just do what I want to do and it's going to be okay in the context of his relationship with God. And then he makes the decision in a vacuum and it ruins the lives of everybody around him. Men, in this cultural moment, right, there is a war for control of your life. And it's easy to sort of dilute your commitment to Christ, grab a little bit of the world and adopt it into your thinking and into your behavior, but there are consequences. You know, this type of self-justifying was called on the carpet by Jesus in Luke chapter six. We see him kinda stop the car, so to speak, you know? People are on the bus and, and Jesus kinda pulls the bus over to the side and he, he's gotta talk to the guys on the team and listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, right? What's Jesus calling on the carpet? He's calling out their claim of their connection to him and their conduct. He's calling out their claim to an identity in him and their activity, right? He senses that there is a playing of both sides. There's the world's plan and their plan, and, and then there's God's plan. And they claim that they're for God's plan, but in their lives, they're executing the world's plan or their plan together, right? There's a compartmentalizing that happens. And can I just tell you, in this all-out spiritual warfare, that's what the devil wants to do with you. He wants to get you to compartmentalize a little part of your life, a little section of your life, and to create a little foothold in your life, right? A foothold is a small but important piece of real estate in war. And if you win that small thing, you can send all your resources through the foothold and take the whole thing, all right? Now, that how do you know that you're, you're, you're getting maybe a little too friendly with the world and, and that you, you have a little foothold that the devil wants to use in your life? You're, you're, you're giving self-justifications. You're rationalizing choices that you know are not consistent with the Word of God and your relationship with God. Secondly, uh, you see secrecy growing. Secrecy growing. You ever ask yourself why crimes are committed under the cover of darkness? Or why if you're a dad and you have kids and you catch them, you know, doing something wrong, that they try to hide the object 
right? They try to, to hide and cover, all right? It's because there is a secrecy, a covering. There's a hiding of things, right? When there's a split in relationships, right? We know this uh, when we see or are a part of affairs. Anytime there's cheating going on, there's a covering, there's a hiding, there's a secrecy. And it's subtle at the beginning, and it grows and grows and grows into a major secret. Talks about this in John chapter three. These are the words of Jesus. And he says this, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, listen, for their actions were evil. You need darkness to cover actions not of the light. And you see, that's what we've been talking about in this series where God calls us to live in this culture, this world. He calls us to influence this culture by contact and by contrast, being salt and being light, right? But if you are keeping secrets and you're not in the light, you have to find some darkness to cover what's not open and in the light. And so you have to ask yourself, what can't I celebrate in the open with God, right? And people, and what am I doing in the dark or with people who are in the dark or people in the world? That's the compare, the contrast, right? What can't I celebrate in the open with God and with people that I need to do in the dark or people who are not of the light? It's a problem. And if you have a situation where you're kind of keeping a secret that you can't celebrate in the open with God and people, the world is wooing you, right? Listen to uh, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses 11 and 12. It says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. When you have a need for darkness and a secret, you can count on one thing that is happening in that darkness and because of that secret, disobedience. How do I know that I'm getting a little too friendly with the world? Well, I'm starting to excuse some of my behaviors and I need cover, I need darkness. I can't celebrate in the open in front of God and, and man the things that I'm doing and I need some darkness and I need people who are in the same kind of mindset to do what I'm gonna do. So, self-justifications are given, secrecy grows. You're being wooed in the battle by the world. All right, number three, sensations guide us. That's just another word for saying your feelings trump your faith right? Your feelings are in charge. You know how many affairs and, and justifications and secrets are, are launched because of feelings? Feelings are in charge. Now, I'm not saying that feelings aren't valid. Feelings are, are, are valid, but they're not the basis of making high quality decisions or making decisions as a man of God. Now, we read about this in Romans chapter 7. We see the struggle where the Apostle Paul is talking about feelings. 
inside of a man of God and how this battle is inside of him, all right? He says this, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Listen to this, something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. You ever felt like that? Where you, you have a, a feeling, you have a thought, you have a feeling, and you say, I'm a man of God. Uh, that's my identity. I'm supposed to separate my energy and my expression. Uh, and yet there is this deep force and power inside. And then there's this complementary spirit out in the cultures that's saying, do it. All right. That's called spiritual warfare, men. And you know, you're getting a little too friendly with the world, the flesh and the devil when you give self-justifications, when you need secrecy and darkness, and when your sensations, when your feelings start to guide you. Number four, how do I know that I'm getting a little too friendly with the world? Serving God suffers. When you're starting to give self-justifications for going outside your relationship with God to get your needs met and his plans, when you need darkness and you possess secrets and need cover. And when you're responding to your feelings, when your feelings trump your faith, the natural consequence of that is that your service for God is going to suffer. Why? Because God's a buzzkill for the pursuits that you want to go after. And this has taken out so many men out of the battle and neutralized their influence for Christ in the world. We read about one of those situations with the field general, the apostle Paul, who's in a fever pitch battle, right? Advancing God's purposes and one of his main lieutenants gets taken out. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. He said he's talking to his other troops and he says this, "Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was picked off by the world. He was wooed, he was seduced, his identity shifted, and then all of a sudden he got taken out of action and instead of becoming a force for advancing God's purposes, he now becomes a man who is listening to his flesh, giving justifications, and advancing the devil's purposes. So I want you to, to consider those things because we're in a battle, there's tension, there's temptation, there's delays and difficulties and, and situations going on right now that, that the devil wants to use and the world is messaging you and there's a willingness built into to every man in his flesh to be susceptible and vulnerable, and you gotta know how to recognize it. Now, that's getting a little too friendly with the world. How can we be on the other side of that? How can we message commitment to our wonderful Savior, our wonderful God, our covenant God, our Lord, our Master, the one who we're called to love and, and who we love and not be picked off, not be compromised, All right? Let's look at some things 
that we can do right now. And the first thing that we can do is we can stop straddling the fence. Do you get that picture? Here's the fence, one foot on one side, one foot on the other side, and your man parts in the middle. It's misery, okay? It's misery to straddle the fence of commitment when you know that you're made by God, you're made for God, and that one day you're going to God, that your life is in him and to cheat on him. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, talks about this, this straddling. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Isn't that what happens when we cheat on someone? We have to have this forsaking emotionally where we start to love the one and we begin to despise or resent the other. We become more devoted to the secondary relationship than to the primary relationship. Talks about this in Revelation chapter three. It's talking about types of Christians and God talks about the straddler, except for he calls him lukewarm in this instance. Listen to God's word. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. God is about to let you have the consequences of straddling. You're not for him, you're not against him. You're straddling, you're in the middle. You are what the Bible calls lukewarm. Make a choice. Stop straddling and repent. Change your mind and say, Lord, you know what? I've been playing both sides. I've been in the culture and I've been absorbing my information and, and who I am and my identity from things out here in the world. I've been tempted to indulge and to impress people and to increase and be dedicated to stuff. That's not your plan for me. Those aren't my gods. I'm repenting and I'm fully committing my life to you. You can't serve the Holy Trinity while you're serving the unholy Trinity. You can't be loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and world and flesh and devil at the same time. You have to say no to one and say yes to the other, all right? So stop straddling the fence. Number two, start doing God's will. Be proactive, right? The best defense is a great offense. And offense in the battle between culture versus Christ and control of the spirit versus control of the flesh, the world versus the word is to just start doing God's will. In 1 John chapter two, it sets up sort of the battle and then gives the solution. Listen for it. First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out. Love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, listen, but whoever does 
what God wants is set for eternity. Start doing God's will. Gives you the battle, right? Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. That has nothing to do with God, right? But you know, you can discover what God does want and the stuff that does relate to him and you can do that, all right? So after we stop straddling the fence and we start making a commitment, we gotta make a decision. Now, how are we gonna move forward? Start doing the will of God. There are some of you watching me right now. You need to start doing the will of God. You know the will of God, but it's like you parked. You need to put your spiritual life in drive again. You need to get out of this place of stagnation, of straddling, of parking your spiritual commitment, and you need to put it in gear and start doing the will of God. Number three, stop saying yes to your flesh. This is huge. Anybody relate to that? You know, an impulse, a habit, an attitude, where you just go, you know what? I'm gonna gratify that emotion. I'm gonna gratify that appetite. And in gratifying that emotion, gratifying that appetite, you take actions that harm your relationship to God and with people. And we have to develop a discipline where we're not gonna escape the thought, but we can say no. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verses seven and eight. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And here's what you have to see. You have to see this coordinated partnership between the active spirit of the culture, the mastermind behind that active spirit, who is the devil, and your impulses and your flesh. Culture will encourage you to indulge your flesh. For example, you ever, can you finish this statement? If it feels good, that's right, do it. That's the message of culture. How about you only live once, right? There's all this messaging out there that's trying to get you, that's out there in culture, that's trying to get you to say yes to your flesh and no to the Spirit of God, right? Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them, right? Now, I want to define that more specifically. If you have an area of your life where your impulses and your body and your flesh have more authority over your mind, that behavior, that action is sin to you. Flesh is winning, spirit is losing, all right? Any area of your life where your body, all right, your body goes before your brain, and when that happens, your relationship with God and people suffers, that behavior to you is sin. That's the filter. And God is saying to us, you gotta identify that, and you have to learn to discipline yourself to say, uh, to stop saying yes to the flesh. It's a discipline. And over time, I know it's hard. We all have to do it. We have to say, mm, nope, not gonna do that. In fact, if you had a camera and were following me all around all day, you'd hear me say it a few times a day or more. Just like, nope, 
What am I doing? I'm saying no to my flesh. Nope. I mean, out loud, right? I mean, this is a battle and you got to get used to doing what you got to do to stop saying yes to your flesh. And you say yes to your, to your flesh when you exchange the truth of God, listen, for a lie. When you exchange the truth of God for a lie, God says A, right? You exchange what God says for B, all right? A lie. Oh, it's okay. I deserve it. I work hard. You know, we all need an outlet, right? Lie, lie, lie. So stop saying yes to your flesh. So if you're not going to say yes to your flesh, who are you going to say yes to, right? Let's go to the next point. Start saying yes to the Spirit, all right? The Spirit of Christ. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that God pours the Spirit of Christ into your life, right? Into your body, into your soul. Why? For leadership, right? So you'll have an inclination, a prompting, a thought that says, do this, and doing that shows love for God and people. That's the Spirit. And you have to discipline yourself to say yes to that and no to the voice that is going to get you to do something that's going to harm your relationship with God and harm your relationships with people. Simple listening. Who do you listen to? Who are you good at listening to? Are you good at listening to the flesh or listening to the spirit? Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation... Right? Brothers and sisters means these are disciples. These are believers in Christ. We, as followers of Jesus, have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But now listen closely. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. It's a confirmation of your identity when you say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And guess what? That's every day, every minute, every week, every month that you are on planet Earth, that's the battle that you're in. I'm gonna listen to God or I'm gonna listen to my flesh. I'm gonna listen to the spirit or I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna listen to my impulses. I'm gonna listen to the word or I'm gonna listen to the world. And there is messaging out there in the world, in culture, that, that is encouraging you to indulge yourself and listen to your flesh. It feels good, do it. You only live once. Why not? You deserve it. You gotta practice listening to the spirit. So stop straddling the fence. Start doing God's will. Stop saying yes to the flesh. Start saying yes to the spirit. And here's the next step. If you want to be not of the world and not be neutralized and have an affair on God, stop treating earth like it's home. That's, that may be good uh, rational or logical thinking, but it's not biblical thinking. The Bible says, listen, you're a pilgrim. You're on a camping trip. Now, you ever go on a camping trip and you set up your tent and then you say, let's go to the electronic store and buy a plasma screen and put it in the tent. Or let's go buy a couch and let's go put it in the tent. No, you don't invest in a camping trip in permanent things. Why? Because you don't live there. It's not your home. It's a temporary thing. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. 
For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch Catch the mindset, right? Their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on the camping trip. They're investing here. I don't know if you travel, but um, I travel a lot. Uh, I, I've traveled close to, to 2 million miles on airplanes in my short life. And um, anytime you travel, you know, many times there's just, there's a layover or a connection. So, you, you know, you start off at your home, you go to uh, getting to a destination, you get to the destination, then you get to the destination, you go back to the layover, and then you, you go home. Um, you know what I don't see in the airport terminal? I don't see people investing in the layover. You know what I see? I see people eager to get home, all right? They're not, they're not planning on staying in a temporary location, and because they're not planning on staying in a temporary location, they're not investing in the temporary, all right? But you know what the world says? Invest here. This is it. Invest your time, invest your energy, invest your resources. And guess what, like a camping trip? It's all going back in the box, man. You can't take that with you to heaven. Jesus, on the other hand, says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Invest in where you live. Listen to what it says in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, kind of goes to this point of don't invest in the temporary. It says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So not only is your dwelling not of earth, neither is your body. Right? That earthly tent, that temporary thing, this thing right here, all right, all right, that's going away, right? And you get a new body. And the Bible encourages us, right, to invest in who we are and where we live. You know, there are some of you that are listening to this right now. You need to stop treating earth like it's home, like it's your permanent residence and start investing in where you live, in your mind, in your heart, in your thoughts, in your soul, with your finances. You need to invest where you live. Don't invest in the layover. Uh, you're not gonna to buy permanent things for a camping trip, right? You gotta think like that. You don't live here. This is a battle. You've been dropped into the world. You're not of it, right? We gotta stop straddling the fence. Start doing God's will. Start saying, stop saying yes to your flesh. Start saying yes to the spirit. Stop treating earth like home. Lastly, start investing in where you really live. And this is a good segue after our last point. Start investing in where you really live. I'm gonna quote what I just said with Jesus in Matthew 6. He said this, do not, repeat, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there will your heart 
also be. And this goes back to the issue of your relationship with God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. We invest in what we're interested in. If you love God and you're interested in God, you invest in the things of God. You invest in the purposes of God. You seek to invest less in earth and more in heaven, less in the purposes of culture and more in the purposes and mission of God. And I gotta be honest with you, as a ministry, every man ministries, man, if you're part of this live stream, man, we need your investment. Right? We want to win millions of men to Christ. We want to launch a movement of spirit-empowered men. And I'd be a fool not to say in this moment, right? invest in what you're interested in. You're on this live stream because you're interested in becoming a man of God and advancing God's purposes. Man, team up with us. All right? Check out what we're doing. Right? Invest in where you really live. Invest in your local church. Right? Invest your energy. I'm so grateful for the many everyman partners that we have. Why? Because man, we're all on the same team and we are not of the world and we are taking territory and accomplishing the mission. If you don't have a way to do that, do it with us, all right? But it requires a mindset. Talks about that in Colossians chapter three, verse two. Listen to what this says. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, all right? Now the world will tell you, set your mind on earthly things, not on the things above. This is a community of men whose minds are set on things above. We know who we are, we're not of the world, and we know what to do. We're called to live in this culture, we're called to influence it by contact and by contrast, and we are called to advance God's purposes on earth. You know, we don't have a lot of time, men, and in the midst of this cultural riptide, it's really reminding us that, man, we are not of this world. And this time in history is really exposing where our commitment really is. Are we committed and faithful to God? Or are we okay with kind of playing both sides? But you know what God's saying to us this morning? Get off the fence. Start doing my will. Stop indulging your flesh. Practice saying yes to me in the moment under pressure. Stop treating this place, this theater of battle, like it's a permanent residence and start investing in where you really live. So here's the question, men. So who is it gonna be? Not what is it gonna be, so who is it gonna be? Is it gonna be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or world, flesh, and devil? Is it gonna be your covenant God or is it gonna be the other woman, the world? Is it gonna be your savior or sensations? Is it gonna be the spirit or the flesh? Is it gonna be heaven or earth? Is it gonna be serving God or serving your appetites? Is it gonna be celebrating in the open before God and man, right? Or covering and hiding parts of your life in the dark? I believe that God is speaking right now. You know who wants to know? The answer to those questions that I just asked you regarding who's gonna be 
Jesus does, because time is short. The Bible says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully, and forceful men lay hold of it. You're in a spiritual battle, men, and Jesus has declared, you are not of this world. You belong to me, I paid the price for you, and I want you right now to gather up your intention to stay committed to me, to stay faithful to me, to start doing my will, to stop indulging your flesh, say yes to my spirit right now. Not tomorrow, not in an hour, not the next day, but right now. Will you commit right now to being God's man in this hour of history, advancing his purposes? Let's bow our heads and let's tell the Lord what our commitment is. God, you wanna know what our commitment is. Is it to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or is it to world, flesh, and devil? Jesus, you declared that we are not of this world. You told us exactly how it was going to be. You said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Lord Jesus, we are planting a stake in the ground. Today, we declare that you are our commitment. You are our covenant God. You're the one that we're bonded and connected to. Lord, you're our savior. Not our feelings, not our sensations. Lord, you are the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna listen to you every time you speak to us. We're not gonna listen to the flesh and we're not gonna listen to the messaging out in culture that encourages us to be boys, not men. We're of heaven. God, would you impress upon every person, impress upon me the need to remember where we really live, that earth is temporary. You say that our life is but a vapor and that we need to do the mission. We need to do the works that you've prepared in advance for every man listening to me to do. So Lord, we commit to that mission and that plan. We're gonna serve you. We're not gonna serve our appetites. We're gonna invest God, in eternal things, eternal projects, eternal ventures, things that lift up and magnify and glorify the name of your son. Jesus, you said you've chosen us and appointed us out of the world and to bear fruit. So Lord, we recommit ourselves to you. We recommit ourselves to that identity. We recommit ourselves to our mission on earth until the order comes through and you call us home, which is gonna be the greatest day of our lives. And you'll say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's our desire today. In Jesus' name we pray and God's men said, amen. We'll see you next time.